We're glad to have you with us this morning at Homestead Church, especially if you are visiting. Um, I invite you to visit our website if you want to have more information on upcoming events or we have a church Facebook page. We also have a Homestead Community Church app, which we are figuring out more and more how to use and keep you updated through that. I'm going to move this fan because I'm starting to feel like I'm in a Beyonce video. <laughs> is, that, is that okay? Now you feel like you're in a Beyonce video. Oh, you're good. Um, Oh man, total sidetrack. Today's gonna be one of those days. I'm a little, we're a little road weary. If you were with us yesterday, we marched in the parade. Especially if you were with us two days ago, we had a team in the Farmington bed races downtown. Now we had, yes, second place, silver medal, um, and a lot of sore muscles today. We have a couple other, I'm gonna talk more about that. We have a couple other things. Lance and Julie Erickson in the back row with the twins today making their first appearance. Welcome. You are looking no worse for wear today. That's uh, glad you're with us today. And then we also have, they're not, I, don't, I see Jason Lauby here. He had a couple of daughters in the high school lacrosse team as well as, so we had Lexi Josie Lauby on the team, right? They were both on the team. And Michaela Revels, three homestead girls on the, was that a woo or another name did I miss? A woo, okay. Um, on the uh, state semifinalist high school girls lacrosse team, so that was awesome. Um, they did they did great. Yes, we'll give them a hand. And only slightly less impressive was our second place finish at the bed races on Friday. Now here's the deal: um, we had was that against the fire department. Yes, the fire department took first place. Now, we showed up with four guys because they said we well, need four guys to push the beds and and then Brooke Maxwell was riding in the bed and there's a challenge halfway and then you turn around and run back and it's you know, they said it's a fifth of a mile total we're running and they said you can have four alternates as well. And he said alternates. What would we need alternates for? We're just running there and we're running back. How hard can that be? Well, we didn't know it was in heats and so we had to run that a total of about seven times pushing this bed and so we lost the first race. It's a double elimination. So that put us in the loser's bracket. So then we kept winning. And the problem was Brooke kept doing such a great job at the challenge at the halfway point that we just kept winning races and said, okay, Homestead, you're up again. So we'd run again. And we were, we were I, all, every, every time I'd run, I would think of all the people in our church who were faster, stronger, and in better shape than I am, wondering why are they not here right now? We... So next year, we're going to have a, a, a sign-up, and we're going to have you more people involved. But um, we, we may have lost one team member along the way, and we replaced him <laughs> with somebody else. And at the end, we, we didn't win the grand prize, but we won the prize for best costume, which was, which was nice. Um, it was a dozen, I think it was a dozen cookies at the Farmington Bakery, which I thought it's fitting that we won cookies for a prize because one of our team members must, might have tossed his cookies in the bushes. <laughs> beside Anchor Bank <laughs> after race number two. I won't say who it was. We want to respect people's privacy. We'll just call him D. Nelson. We'll call <laughs> Actually, that's probably a little too obvious. We'll call him Dalton N., and then you'll know. It was great. It was a great time. We had a great weekend. Running in those races was fun. We were marching in the parade yesterday. We had hands down. We might have had the second largest you know, number of people marching in the parade, but hands down the cutest collection of children riding in our, our float, our homestead float, throwing out candy and then uh, giving out invites to the carnival. And so we, we love being in our community at, at, 
at Homestead Church, I invite you to just take part in events and also be present in your community. Get to know neighbors, get to know people in our neighborhoods and, uh, and share the love of Jesus with them. We are going to start a series today looking at the Gospel of Luke. And uh, before we do that, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Dads, thanks for all you do. Let's give a hand to all the dads. Thank you, thank you. We have a gift card, a, a coffee gift card for you on display at the back. Right before you leave this room at the back, you can grab one of those dads, and we probably have enough for all the, all the guys in here. You can, future dads, you can take one of those too, all right? Um, we are going to start a series. We're going to this summer look through the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I'm excited to do that. Just through the summer, take a different passage of Scripture, a different story from that Gospel we're going to read together each week and then study a little bit more what God is going to teach us through these stories in the Gospel of Luke. And as an introduction to this series, really today's message is going to be kind of an overview introduction to the Gospel of Luke. I have one kind of main point, main thought that I want to give at the end. Um, but I thought as a way to introduce this Gospel would be just to read the first couple of verses, typically especially in the New Testament, a, a book or a passage of Scripture, a, a book in the Bible is going to have a little bit of an introduction, who's writing it, who it's for. And so I wanted to read the first four verses. They'll be up on the screen. This is just kind of an introduction. Luke chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. I'm going to read those together if you want to follow along. There's some Bibles in the pews in front of you, um, or the words will be on the screen. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Many have undertaken... To draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is written by Luke. This is written by Luke. This is his introduction to this letter, this work, this book that he is writing to his, probably a disciple of his, Theophilus. Now, I love that introduction. I love that introduction because Luke, and we'll, we'll learn a, bit, a little bit more about him, he was investigating this. He was investigating all the things that he had heard. All the things he had heard handed down to him. And so he basically is saying to his disciple, Theophilus, he's saying, you know what, we've heard a lot of things. We've heard a lot of things about this Jesus. Things handed down through eyewitnesses and through other accounts. But Luke essentially says, basically says here, I thought it wise to go investigate it myself. I wanted to figure this out for myself. I want to make sure the things that we're being taught are the things that should be taught. And so he goes on this endeavor to research carefully all the things that were being taught about Jesus. I love that. I love that he said, you know what, I'm not just going to listen to what I've heard through other people. I'm going to go investigate some of these things myself. And so Luke does this. Who is Luke? Now, Luke is one of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right, we got that. Um, Matthew and Mark and John all would have been, well, Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus. They were two of the 12 disciples. So they were G with Jesus right from the very beginning. So they were probably writing down things. I, I 
it would have been a couple of years after Jesus died and rose again that they would have started writing down all the things that they experienced as eyewitnesses. Mark was not one of the disciples, but he would have been an earlier follower of Jesus as well. He would have been around Jesus for a lot of years. Luke is different. Luke is different. He would have never met Jesus face to face. He would have been, he would have come to faith probably a few years after Jesus died and rose again. He was a disciple of the Apostle Paul, what most scholars believe. So the Apostle Paul came to faith after Jesus died and rose. He began to travel around planting churches, and Luke was probably one of those early disciples of Paul. He heard about this Jesus. He heard about all these accounts, and he decided to go investigate. And I love what it says there. He decided to go and talk to the eyewitnesses. He said, how am I going to learn about this Jesus How am I going to learn if all these things that we're being told are accurate? Well, I better go talk to the people who were there with Jesus. I better go talk to some of the eyewitnesses. So that's what he does. Luke is an outsider, especially compared to the other three writers of Gospels. Luke is an outsider. He never met Jesus, as I mentioned. He would have come to faith years after Jesus died and rose. He was not a Jewish person. He was not a Jew. He was a Roman citizen, a Gentile, an outsider in every way. And you can see that, If and I would encourage us all to read through the book of Luke over the summer as we're studying these things. And what you'll see is Luke makes several references to this gospel being for all people. And that's very intentional. I've mentioned this a couple of times at Christmas time because Luke's account of the Christmas story is what we often read at Christmas time. And that angel comes and appears to those shepherds and says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This is very intentional that Luke is putting that in there because Luke wants everybody to know I'm an outsider. And this gospel is for you, too, all the outsiders, all the people who might think, well, this doesn't apply to me. No, it applies to all people. You can see that influence throughout his writing. So he's an outsider. Luke is. He's also a medical doctor. We hear other references to Luke in different books throughout the New Testament. He is a medical doctor. And so he approaches this gospel, this writing, this letter, with a great amount of detail, like a researcher, saying, I'm going to figure out all these things. And he throws in different dates. He'll say, well, in this year of this king's reign, during this ruler, in this year, or this season, or this month of the year, he is writing it out in great detail so that people who read it can know, oh, okay, that lines up. Yes, that lines up here. He is making great attention to detail. And as I mentioned, Matthew And Mark and John, they were Jewish people. Luke was not. So Matthew, Mark, and John, their Gospels are written more theologically, more... uh, I was reading one commentary that says Matthew, for example, his Gospel contains a lot more references to Old Testament prophecies for the Jewish people to realize this is the Messiah, the fulfillment of all these prophecies. And this scholar said that Luke doesn't really do that a lot because he's not writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to the outside audience, the outsiders. He's wanting them to know, hey, I might have been skeptical too, but I went and researched. I talked to all the eyewitnesses, and this is what I found. He puts it very plainly in those verses that we 
just read at the beginning of his gospel. I thought it was wise to carry out an investigation of everything that we've heard. That's so great. I love that. I thought it wise that we should at least look into all the things that we've heard and make sure that they are accurate. So this gospel of Luke, as we're going to study this summer, is really his quest and what he researched and what he wrote down for who Jesus was and the things that Jesus taught. And even though there would have been other writings, and it says even in those first verses, there were other writings, there were other things that we could read, Luke says, I'm going to go make up my own mind. And I love that because we live in a day and age, and maybe some of you are here, where the idea of taking the Bible at face value or listening to the Bible and really trusting what it says, you might be a little bit skeptical about that. You might think, well, why would I listen to what the Bible says? Like it was just this heavenly book that just appeared one day and everyone just said, well, we better believe what it says. And you might think, well, why would I believe what it says? Maybe you know some friends or family who say, well, sure, you tell me what the Bible says, but I don't really believe the Bible is true. Why would I believe the Bible is true? And I love that Luke maybe was one of those you know, somewhat skeptical people of saying, well, I'm not just going to listen to what you say. And he went and he researched it and he spent years traveling around speaking with those who were eyewitnesses and carefully documented in great detail everything that he learned, everything that he learned. And so one thing I get from that is this, for each of us, your faith journey is yours. Your faith journey is your journey. And you might grow up in a home where mom and dad preached to you. Mom and dad gave you all the rules and said what the Bible said, and that's good. And we hope that families are doing that, communicating the truths of Scripture. But at some point, students, you're going to get into a college situation or maybe in a high school situation. And mom and dad aren't going to be around saying, well, this is what we believe in. And you're going to hear other people's views. And you're going to say, well, why do you, they're going to say to you, why do you believe in the Bible? Why would you believe that? And I want you to know, I want you to remember even this day or this book of the Bible, this gospel of Luke, this letter that Luke wrote, and he said, I'm going to research this because I'm a little bit skeptical too. I'm not just going to take what other people tell me. I'm going to go talk to the eyewitnesses. And you can, in times when you're feeling skeptical or times when somebody might question, why do you believe in the Bible? You can recognize what the Bible is. It's not just one book. Right? It's not just one book. If you've taken junior Bible quiz, you know the answer to the question. We need Grant Hoffmeister in here. He'd be able to recite this like that. He was a junior Bible quiz contestant growing up. But the Bible is this. It is a collection of writings written by over about 40 people over a period of 1,500 years. That's what we have in here. And part of that collection of writings is this letter from Luke, this medical doctor who was alive in the first century, think of it in terms like this. If I said to you, we have access to a letter that a medical doctor wrote 2,000 years ago who went and talked to all the eyewitnesses that were with Jesus throughout his life, you would think, wow, that's pretty cool. i got to get my hands on a copy of that letter. We have our hands on a copy of that letter, and it's the Gospel of Luke. That is pretty amazing. That's pretty cool. I love that. So I want to encourage you this summer to read through the Gospel of Luke with that in mind of someone who was just seeking out the truth of who Jesus was and what he taught. And if you ever get in a situation students, 
or grown-ups where someone says, well, why should I believe the Bible? You can tell them about this letter from this doctor named Luke who lived in the first century and who wrote down all the things that the eyewitnesses said who were walking with Jesus. So this summer, as we go through this, we're going to just take a different story or a different passage. And hopefully, and what I'm praying, is that we would get a better understanding of who Jesus is, what his message to his followers was, and the good news of this gospel would just come alive more and more in us. So I'm going to read a few verses as we move on, as we start this series. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm going to read a few verses the first, you know, the first few chapters of Luke I already mentioned are very Christmas-themed, but we're going to read a passage that a lot of times gets read around the Christmas season. It is Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. This is what the subtitle in my Bible says is Mary's song. This is Mary after she has been told she's going to give birth to the Messiah, Jesus. This is her song. This is her offering of praise. These are her words in response to that. And we're going to read that together, and they're going to be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 says this. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit Rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." That's Mary's response. That's what Luke wrote down in his gospel as Mary's response to this news that the Messiah would come. And why I read those verses today is there's one kind of main thought that I believe that Mary recognized in that moment and one main thought that I want to frame this whole series around and especially today's message. This main point is this. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Mary said these words because she recognized, my life is never going to be the same. This Savior is going to come. God has brought this upon me, has involved me in the process. This is what Mary is thinking, and my life will never be the same. And Mary is saying that for herself, and she recognizes she is saying that for everyone. Jesus changes everything. It is about Jesus. That's why we're here. That is why we're here. That's why we walk in the parade. That's why we minister in our community. That's why we gather and worship together and study the gospel and study the Bible. It is about Jesus. He changed everything. History was changed. Eternities are changed because of Jesus. And Mary recognizes this, and she says, my life will never be the same. And when we read through the Gospel of Luke, Luke is going to document story after story of people who the same thing is true of them. Jesus changed everything. Everything is different with Jesus. People's lives who are changed, story after story after story. And one way I look at that 
how Jesus changes everything is he does so in a kind, merciful Savior way, right? Have you? I mean, we've got a room full of people here who have experienced that, the saving grace of Jesus Christ. He changed everything through his mercy, through his love. We read stories of the sick and the poor and the broken and the addicted and the lost and the hurting and the sinful, and Jesus comes in and changes everything. Lives are turned around because of his love and his mercy. New life, forgiveness, healing, stories after story of people who are sick, people who are crippled and blind, who are healed. Jesus changed everything. Amen, right? Amen. (laughs) People who are in darkness brought to the light. People who are lost and weary, lonely, broken, just thinking that there is nothing for them. We know in this culture especially, the sick and the poor, they were outcasts. There was no support for them. There was no support. And Jesus came in and said, you are a part of this gospel. You are included no matter who you are. And that message was handed down to Luke from the eyewitnesses. And he handed it down in a letter to his friend Theophilus, and it has been handed down, and that same applies to you and me. If you are lost or sick or weary or broken or addicted or sinful, he changes everything. He changes everything. I want you to recognize that as we read through this this summer. New life is found in him. Wholeness is found in him. Mercy, no matter what your past is, is found in him. Whatever you're facing, he can turn it around. He changes everything. But there's another way, that idea of Jesus changing everything, there's another way to look at that. And this way may be a little bit more uncomfortable, okay? Maybe a little bit more uncomfortable, and I'll illustrate it like this. Jesus comes in and changes everything. Um, imagine, like a, uh, imagine like a home organization expert or an interior designer, you invite into your house and you say, hey, could you make a few changes around here? Well, what's that expert going to do? What's that person going to do? They're going to start moving stuff around, aren't they? Right? Maybe you experienced this, and I meant to ask my wife, Christy, about an example of this, because a lot of people, you know, guys, I'll use us as an example. We grow up, we go through college, and we acquire furniture. And we acquire furniture like every college student. If it's sitting on the side of the road with a sign free, that's the best couch ever. That's the best recliner ever. So we collect all this lousy furniture. And then what happens? We get married, right? And all of a sudden, our wives come in, and they say, that is terrible. We need to get rid of that. And I'm, I'm like, what? No, can't get rid of that. I've had that forever. That, that recliner with the, with the ketchup stains, that thing with the, with the chewed outside from someone's dog. I mean, that's a, that's a treasure to me. You can't move that. Maybe, you know, imagine a home decoration expert or someone who's going to reorganize your home. They're going to come in and they're going to start moving stuff around. And you're going to be like, what? Can't do that. That's not where that goes. That goes over here. And then they're going to get rid of stuff. And you're like, what? You can't get rid of that. I've had that from college. Maybe it's an old item of clothing that your wife has said, you got to get rid of that. No, this flannel has been with me since high school. It's perfect. It's still in style. No, it's not. But you think it is because you've had it forever. You've gotten comfortable with it. Things in your house look the way you, you don't even notice it anymore. And you need someone else to come in and be like, this looks, this looks run down. we got to get rid of this. we got to clean this out. we got to reorganize this. Well, in a way, this is what Jesus 
does, these are some of the changes that Jesus makes in us as followers of him. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable, right? Have you experienced that? If you follow Jesus, you recognize when you read the word, when you spend in time in prayer, he starts communicating to you like, oh, that area of my life, that old ketchup-stained recliner in my heart, <laughs> you know, it's got to go. And you think, oh, I don't want to get rid of that. I've had that since college. I've had this area of my life since I was a kid. How could I ever get rid of that? And just like a home decorator, if you can get past it and trust them to do their work, after a while you look and you say, oh, this is so much better. This is so much better. I should have done this years ago. I should have done this years ago. That's the same work that Jesus does when he comes in with his changing work in our hearts. It can feel uncomfortable. But once you recognize that this loving, merciful Savior has your best interest in mind, once you recognize that he has your best life in mind, not just eternity in heaven, but your most fulfilling life right now, once you recognize that he knows what he's doing, then you can say, okay, Jesus, come in and make these changes. Come in and make these changes. Areas of my life I should have gotten rid of years ago. Come in and make these changes. This is what he does. This is what Jesus does. This is what our Savior does. It is that work in us. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that's what it's about, is are you going to allow Jesus, the designer, the architect of your life, to come in and do that work? Are you going to allow it? He's not going to break in. He needs to be invited in. And you have to let go of some of these things that he wants to get rid of. You have to let go of some of these areas of your life that he wants to bring about change. I say this for everybody here, and you may be a follower of Jesus for your whole life. And maybe you've decided to become a follower of Jesus in the past few months. All of us, this next statement applies to. We don't, we don't stay the same. We don't stay the same. If you find yourself just kind of stuck, it's because you're not allowing Jesus to do that changing work in you. There are areas in my heart, just even over the last few weeks, when I'm time, spending time in prayer, and Jesus says, yeah, that old kind of faded recliner, you should probably get rid of that in your life. You know, you've, you've been carrying that around long enough. He wants to do that work in me, he wants to do that work in each of you. Areas of your life that you just feel weighed down, just burdened, just, why do I always feel this way? An addiction, a sin, a habit, a, a way of thinking, whatever it is, Jesus wants to come in and start saying, hey, let's move that around. Let's get rid of some of those things. Let's make some changes here. I got great things in store for you, but we can't keep carrying around all this old stuff. Right? I have a new adventure for you, but we've got to make some of these changes in here. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to come in and, and mess around with some stuff a little bit in our lives. He wants to come in and make himself at home. He wants to come in. Have you ever had a house guest that really just makes themselves at home? And you start thinking, well, that's, that's my cereal. You can't eat that. Well, that's kind of what I do. I kind of tend to make myself at home. Just like, well, I'm just going to help myself here. This is what Jesus wants to do in your life. Just make himself at home, and you got to let him. You have to allow him. Some people do, and some people don't. Even people who sit in church services their whole life never get to that point where they say, Jesus, come in and just start making these changes. Just start getting rid of stuff. Point things out to me. Let's get rid of some stuff. 
He comes in with love and mercy. The Bible says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He comes in and he just says gently, hey, there's better things for you. There's better things for you. There's a better life for you. And he makes these changes. He challenges us. He disciples us. He teaches us, which causes us to grow in our faith. And that's one thing I want us all to do is to continue to grow. I don't want any followers of Jesus just to stay where they are. We are always growing. Whether you are brand new to faith or you've been a faithful follower of Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years, he wants us to keep growing. One thing that I, uh, I wanted to highlight in those verses that I read that Mary spoke, that we read in the book of Luke, um, and I think I mentioned this when I, I used this passage of Scripture, maybe right before Christmas. That verse that says um, in verse 48, For God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is Mary talking. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. That word blessed is interesting, and it fits with what we're talking about today. Most of the time in the New Testament, when you read that word blessed, it comes from a, a Greek word that, to, that means to speak highly of, to almost like to eulog- where we get the word eulogy come from, like to speak highly of someone, to bless them with words, to compliment them. But this word, this Greek word for this word blessed is different. And that one means something completely different. That one means almost what we're talking about today, to intervene, where God has intervened. So what Mary is saying is generations are going to call me blessed because God has stepped in. God has intervened in my life because God has made his presence real. God has, almost like it's saying, God has interfered with my life. So essentially what Mary is saying, I am blessed because God has interfered with my life and nothing's going to be the same. Because God has come in and everything is changed. This is why she says she is blessed. This is why she says she is blessed. Because she says, I'm blessed because the presence of God has come in and changed everything. Nothing will be the same. Mary knew she was blessed because God had interrupted with her life. God had interfered with her life, and it would not be the same. Mary knew she was blessed because Jesus changes everything. So this summer, as we wrap up this morning, this summer, I want us to study through this Gospel of Luke. We're going to read stories of when Jesus was tempted. We're going to read stories of where he brought healing and miracles and provision. We're going to read stories of lives that were changed. I want us, and even this week, I want you to start thinking of this question, but every time we read something in this passage of Scripture, in this book, this summer, I want you to ask yourself this question. What needs to be changed? I want you to read through this with the framework of of Jesus. What do you want to change in me? What do you want to bring some change, reorganize, move some things, get rid of some old stuff? What do you want to change in me? Jesus, what in my life needs to be interfered with? needs to be messed up a little bit, needs to be changed, needs to be cleaned out. Because the same thing for Mary, the same thing for all these disciples, for Luke, for each of us is the same thing. He wants to come in and change things. He wants to come in and change your life. He wants to cause you to heal what is broken. He wants to cause you to grow. He wants you to not walk through life riddled with just 
anxiety, weariness, darkness, brokenness, loneliness. He doesn't want that anymore. Those are all things he wants to get rid of. He wants to change those things. He wants to get rid of them. He wants to cause you to heal and grow and to be filled with new life and purpose and passion and victory over some of these areas in your life that you have been trying to get victory over. He wants to lead you in a way where now you can be involved in your family, leading them to grow in faith. Where He wants to lead you in a way where you can go into your communities and share your faith with others, causing you to grow so that other people's eternities will be changed. These are the things that Jesus wants to do in you. He wants to change each of us. He wants us to grow. And our choice is always going to be the same thing. Every day, every encounter is going to be this. Will we allow Jesus to do that? Will we allow the truth of his word to do that? Will we allow him to get rid of some of those things? Will we do the hard work and take the necessary steps to change some of these things in our life so that we can experience that new, full wholeness of joy and life that Jesus wants for us? Will we do it? Will we do it? And I promise you, there's never going to be a day where we're done and we say, ah, oh, it's complete, like owning a house. There's never a day where everything's done. But it's a process. And every step that you allow Jesus to do a work in your life, to bring about some change, you're going to look back and you're going to say, oh, I'm glad we did that. I should have done that a long time ago. Boy, I'm glad I got rid of that. Boy, I'm glad I'm seeing victory in my life here. I'm glad I'm seeing my marriage restored here, my relationship with my kids restored here. I'm glad I'm seeing fruit in my life because of what Jesus is doing. And you're going to say every time, oh, man, I wish I would have done that long ago, but I'm so glad we're doing it right now. I promise you that's what's going to happen. And it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be days where you feel weary and just like, oh, another, another change. Really, Jesus, another one? Great. Okay, here we go. Let's get to work on that. Kind of like how I'm feeling with my backyard right now. We started a project which led to a project which is just chain reaction. And now it's just like, okay, well, this is never going to end. There's going to be times where it's going to feel like that in your walk of faith where it's just, wow, this is difficult. There's going to be times where you trip up and you feel like, oh, I thought we were rid of that, but... I brought the old recliner back into my house again. I, I snuck it back in. I, I went to Goodwill and rebought that old flannel that we had gotten rid of. You know, there's going to be times where you feel like you're, you're taking a step backwards. But keep moving forward. Keep allowing Jesus to change your heart, to change your life, to change your family. And you're going to be glad you did, I promise. Let's pray together. Jesus, it is all about you. And not just in this series, not just in the Gospel of Luke, everything we do, it's about you. It's about you. We live for you. We are so grateful for your presence in us. We're so grateful that we can read these words in Scripture that teach us about who you are and your love for us. And I pray that as we work through this Gospel of Luke this summer, that it would just come alive. The, script, the pages of Scripture would come alive to us and that you would do a changing work in every life. That between now and the end of the summer even, that we would just see fruit of all the work that you're doing in each of us individually. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are already thinking of the areas of their life that they're like, I would love to be rid of that. I would love to have healing here. I would love to have victory here. For each of those situations, God, we lift those up to you. And I pray that even right now you would do a work, softening hearts, opening eyes, that you would do a work in each of us, 
speaking to us, encouraging us, saying, "We come on, we want to move forward. Let's get rid of these things. Let's replace them with new life. I pray for every life here that you would do a great, miraculous, changing work in each of us. Even this week, may we just sense that you are working in us and through us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this community of people that are gathered here to honor you and to thank you. And I pray for our surrounding community over the next couple of weeks. I pray for every one of those flyers that were handed out. I pray for everyone who sees word about our, our carnival that's coming up in a couple of weeks or sees our signs or meets one of the people in our church. I pray that each of those encounters would bear fruit, that you would bring in the lost and the hurting and the broken, that they could experience your life-changing love and mercy and grace. Be with us this week. Just lead us and guide us. We commit all of our ways to you. Thank you so much. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody at Homestead said, amen.